Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is uh, Ed, as Falco said. It's lovely to be with you today. Um, I and my wife are down in Southgate in North London. We travelled up this morning and uh, we have a three-week-old young one and in the rush to get everything out, I forgot to bring my Bible. So that was uh, very, very poor. So excuse me for using my phone. We're reading um, Psalm 130. And uh, I'll read from the ESV. Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray again as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this this passage. Please, Father, would you help Uh, the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth to be pleasing in your sight. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's a a great privilege to be able to speak on this psalm. Uh, You may know uh, the great Puritan John Owen wrote a whole book on this psalm. And so it's very unlikely that in a short sermon I will be able to plumb the depths of it. And I'd highly recommend that work to you. But it is a wonderful psalm. Because it speaks to the most fundamental need of humanity. It's our need of forgiveness. And to the experience that that need can cause. Which is to throw us into the depths. And it shows us there is hope for anyone who will put their hope in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This psalm wants to tell us this morning that if you are in the depths for one reason or another, if you feel like you are drowning and shut off from the face of God, then there is hope for you. There is plentiful redemption with him. It doesn't matter whether that is on account of some suffering or whether on account of some sin, whether you are laden with a load of cares or whether you are laden with a guilty conscience. If you will cry to the Lord Jesus Christ and wait for him, One day, sooner or later, he will lift you out. I I want to make five brief observations from the psalm, and then we will have uh, three applications. So five brief observations. The first is this. All the depths that people experience in this life are caused, in one way or another, by sin. All the depths that people experience in this life are caused, in one way or another, by sin. And this is a truth, of course, that the whole Bible would teach us. Genesis 3, right at the start. Adam and Eve disobey God. They rebel against his word. They hide from him. And so God curses them. And that is the first descent. It's almost certain that Eden was on a mountain. You have the rivers flowing from Eden down a hill, presumably. And so they are thrown down. And that's the start of humanity's descent. 
Jesus most obviously teaches this. A paralytic is brought to him, and rather than saying, rise, take up your mat and walk, he says, um, my son, your, your sins are forgiven. He looks beyond the mere symptom to the cause of the disease. And it's not true to say that all specific sufferings that we may go through in this life are caused by some specific sins that we've committed. Another time a tower falls down, he's asked, are these people worse? And he says, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. And so it is here. Verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There is a link between depths and sin, suffering and iniquity. And whatever it is that we face today, whatever pains that we may be going through, whether it's the trials of or just getting on with life, whether it's bereavement, financial hardship, loneliness, slander, old age, childbearing, busyness, or a guilty conscience, all of them, in one way or another, are tied to our sin. And friends, as a reminder here, I remember um, uh, Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, another Puritan, he said that that thought should make you hate your sin. Because there is more evil in the smallest sin than in all the suffering of this world. Because the smallest sin has caused all the suffering of this world and the next. It's the first thing to notice, very obvious and simple Simple one. But there are depths in this world because there is sin in this world and nothing that people do to try and alleviate suffering will ultimately achieve it unless sin is dealt with. Secondly, there are no depths quite as dark as those we bring ourselves into by our sin. I was um, listening to a lecturer. He was, um, he was actually talking about this passage. very helpful. He, um, he, uh, he got hold of one of his grandparents' books and uh, he was looking through it and uh, one was uh, by a psychiatrist. It was written in the 1970s or so. And he said, um, the psychiatrist said, if only I could convince people that they could be forgiven, I would deal with half of my cases straight away. So many of our trials have to do with guilt. And the link in this psalm between sin and depth seems to be very direct. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, why is he in the depths? Well, the only thing he says is, Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And the only thing he seems to want is forgiveness, but with you there is forgiveness. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, he says, Here is a man who is weighed down by his sin. The word depths here means valleys and deep places, particularly those underwater. Sometimes it's used as a metaphor for suffering, uh, but Suffering that providence would bring upon us, most likely here it refers to the depths of fearing the wrath of God. Having no sense that God loves you, that he is for you, and knowing that you deserve his wrath. If you are a Christian here today, and you know that God is your father, that is like a rock that will anchor absolutely everything that you face. You can, in the end, cope with whatever life throws of you, as long as you know that, that God is my Father and that he loves me and he will bring me home to him. Whatever else I lose, as long as I don't lose him, I'll be fine. But if you lose 
that anchor, then how great the chaos can be. I remember when I was um, studying engineering, this was a while back now, um, I would have called myself a Christian, but I was living in sin, I was ignoring God. I remember one night, there was, um, I mean, it's, uh, you, know, you hear stories like this, there was a thunderstorm. And I was absolutely terrified. I was a you know, 20-year-old guy, never would be seen blubbing in front of anyone. I was blubbing by my bedside, pleading with God to have mercy upon my soul. My conscience was plagued with guilt. I knew I deserved hell. And I beg God for mercy. And that is perhaps something of what this person is speaking about here. To be clear, it's not necessary that we have that kind of experience to be a Christian. It's much better to go all our lives being absolutely sure that God loves us. Let's pray for our children that that would be their experience. And I hope it's yours. But in his mercy, if we will persist in sin... God will sometimes bring us to these depths to break us up. And that's the third thing. It is uh, possible for a believer to bring themselves into their depths by their sin. This psalmist is clearly a member of the Old Covenant community, a believer in the promises of the Messiah, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's under the covenant of grace, and yet here he is, brought into the depths on account of his sin. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And there's something that's quite encouraging in that. We we talk about hypocrites a lot because it's so dangerous to be one, to be sure that God loves you when in fact he doesn't. But there's kind of the reverse that's possible. It's possible that you can be loved by God and utterly unsure whether God loves you. You can have a true and real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then think you have no interest in Christ at all. You can be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and yet be thrown into the depths and feel utterly and totally cast down because of your sin. It may be that you have been coming to church for years and you have all sorts of doubts about whether God actually loves you. Maybe you are here this morning and your conscience is laden with, um, with guilt. You feel like an imposter. And yet you can be a truer believer as the psalmist. And beloved by Christ as the Pastor Stephen. But there's also a warning here. Sometimes we're brought into providential depths because we're being godly, like Job. He had done nothing wrong, in fact. He was doing everything right. And he cursed the day of his birth because of his suffering. But we can bring ourselves into depths by our sin, like Jonah. It is perhaps the greatest sign of God's anger that he lets some people live in this world with an easy conscience all their life until they must face him in the judgment. There is nothing worse than that. But it is not the way God deals with his people. If we are his... And we wander from him. He will discipline us. We can walk with him on the heights. He welcomes us into his presence. But if we choose to wander far from him to sin and grieve the spirit, he being a good father, will make us feel where we are going. Fourthly, and wonderfully, 
There are no depths to which we can sink from where God cannot hear our cry. There are no depths to which we can sink from where God cannot hear our cry. Verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And it is very clear by the end of the psalm, verse 7, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's presumably saying that because he knows it's, it works. That God listens and has had mercy. This psalm reminds me of Jonah. In a sense, you kind of feel like this is the, the psalm that Jonah really ought to have prayed in the belly of the fish, but didn't. But there he was, under the, not only beneath the waves, he was in the entrails of some sort of sea monster. And neither the waves nor the body of that fish could stop his prayer from reaching the Lord. And neither can our suffering, and neither can our sin, if we will put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And another little story. I remember once, as a, a teenager, I, um, I had an argument with my mum. It wasn't, it wasn't, this was not a, a high moment in the life of Edward. I had an argument with my, my mum. I um, was so angry, I stormed upstairs and uh, punched a hole in the wall. And I sat down in my bedroom. And mum, I mean, I, I was, my bedroom was above the kitchen. So, you know, physically, the distance between me and my mum was not much farther from me to you right now. But I felt very far from my mum. Uh, but mum being mum, eventually when I came to my senses, I went down and said, sorry. She forgave me, and Dad even kindly plussed over the hole in the wall for me, rather than making me do it. And this is something that Jesus teaches us again and again. When he was on this earth, he walked around, all sorts of people cried out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. And he didn't cast any of them away. He welcomed them all and helped them. And he did it so that we might know, however great our suffering, or however great our sin, he will welcome us. He even restored Peter, when Peter had denied him three times. No matter how deep the depths, God can and will hear our cries for mercy. And that is true for you today, whatever you are facing today. However much guilt ladens your conscience... You can be sure if you cry out to God that he will hear you. And that is fifthly because with the Lord there is forgiveness. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? A very dangerous position to be in if you don't believe that this morning. But if you think, "I I don't need to have a guilty conscience, I haven't done anything wrong. No one can stand before God. Not one of us here this morning, not one in this country, not one in the world or in the entire course of human history except our Lord Jesus Christ. If God judged us by the measure of his holiness, no one could stand before him. But verse 4 continues with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with him there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful Redemption. The root of all our trouble in one way or another is our sin. Our sin not just against some random deity or against each other, but against the true and living and holy and almighty creator. And the trouble with our sin is not so much that it causes us suffering or damns us to hell, but that it cuts us off from him. 
But with God there is forgiveness, steadfast love, plentiful redemption. It's such a lovely phrase, that, that one, plentiful redemption, abundant redemption. When Jesus used stories to, to describe forgiveness, the forgiveness that is with God, what are the images he uses? It's just lovely, isn't it? He tells a story of a king who forgives a servant a debt that is so large it was more than all the money in circulation at the time. Or of a father running to his son, covered in pig filth, who had disowned him, wasted his money, dishonored his name, and threw a party for him. John Owen puts it well. Jesus' death on the cross is so precious, so infinitely valuable, that one drop of his blood would be sufficient to atone for the sins of a thousand worlds. You and I are in constant need of mercy and grace, constant need of forgiveness. And in his love, God the Father planned the great work of redemption to send his Son into the world. And the Son, taking on flesh, came into this world and suffered the depths of it. He sunk further than any other man as he bore the wrath of God at our sins on the cross. And he did it so that he can and he will lift all those who are his out of them. And place them eventually on the eternal shores of heaven. We are in constant need of grace. Constant need of forgiveness. And we can no more exhaust the riches of God's grace than we can drink the ocean. And we can no more thwart his purposes to save than we can stop him being God. I am... Another story I heard was, uh, this didn't happen at our theological college, but I heard a story of a theological college where when the new students arrived, you may have, I'm sorry if you've heard this before, it's, it's a lovely story. Um, the dean of the college would say, look, you've got many other things that you need to do for all sorts of people today, but there's one thing that I want you to do for me, which is I want you to write down the worst sin you've ever committed on a piece of paper. It may be something you've thought, maybe something you've done. And I want you to bring it to me at some point during the day. And uh, the students, you know, being somewhat taken aback, were like, well, okay, I suppose we better do it. And so they would hide away somewhere, write down on a piece of paper, something or other. And apparently the dean all day would have very tentative knocks at his door. And he would say, come in. And... He would say, have you got something for me? And the student would say, yes, hand a piece of paper. He would look at it, read it, and then he'd take his lighter, burn it, throw it in the bin, and say, thank you very much, you can go now. It's a lovely little picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ offers to do for us and will certainly do for us if we are his. You may be thinking, oh, Ed, but you don't know how badly I have failed. But Christ succeeded in dying on the cross. You may be thinking, I don't, you don't know how, how badly, how many times, how often I've done what I've said I would never do again. But with him there is forgiveness. Abundant redemption. And with him that, it, that he may be feared. There is no other who can forgive our sin And so there is no other who deserves our worship and praise. Our redemption is the ground of all our praise and honor of God. Not only has he created us, he has redeemed us. Not so that we may continue in sin, 
But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who can help us. And so let us come to the application. If you're in the depths, and all of us will be to some extent, we may not be in the heights. We may, well, we may not be as deep as this person, but I doubt any one of us would say we are walking with God as closely as we ought. There are three things that the psalmist would teach us to do. The first is to cry to the Lord. Verse 1 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The psalm does not begin, Dear God, I'm in a small pot of bother, a spot of bother. Uh, would you mind terribly giving me a hand? It doesn't matter if you don't, but if you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. Thank you very much. It, it doesn't... It doesn't say, <clears throat> as sometimes we did when we were children or when we're tired in the morning, dear God, forgive my sin, amen. He says, I cry out to you. As Charles Spurgeon said, great depths ought to produce great earnestness. We have to come to God every day and say to him, I am doomed Unless you help me. Please, Lord God, have mercy upon me. And Jesus would teach us that the violent take the kingdom of heaven. And the examples of scriptures are of those wrestling with God. And so what we to do, Lord, have mercy upon me. And there is persistence here as well as earnestness. Four times, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas, many there, for mercy. It's like a, a small child saying, Daddy, can you help me? 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 And that can get annoying if you're Daddy and you don't have all the time in the world, but it doesn't annoy God because he does. In fact, it, it honours him. Because... By so praying, we are saying, I cannot save myself, and no one else can, but you can. And you alone. And we give him the glory that is due to him. So many people try to deal with their sin and their guilt by working hard and doing good. It's exactly what all the Christian heresies say, Islam, the Jehovah's Witness, or Mormonism. But Jesus did not go to the cross so that we could earn our forgiveness and save ourselves. He went to the cross that we could cry to him. And he could give us what we so desperately need. When we feel ourselves laden with guilt, when he casts us low, let us cry out to the Lord for mercy. Secondly, wait for the Lord. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. It's a beautiful line, isn't it? Absolutely lovely poetry. I, the whole line carries with it a sense of steadfastness, a sense of perseverance. Um, I've, I've never done night watch duties. Maybe that some people here have done night watch duties, been out in the army, having to keep watch, sentry duty. I can't imagine that this would have been much fun. It'd be cold be dark, staring out, no idea of the time back then, you would have had no idea, just a guess. Watching for any sign of an enemy who might come, uh, wanting to slaughter you, steal your property, your wife, and kill your children. You had to stand there and watch and wait and not fall asleep 
My dear friends, what we long for in the depths is one of two things. Well, two, at least one, probably the other as well. One is the assurance that God loves us. One is to be reminded again that he is our father. And that our sins really are all forgiven. That, that comfort of the spirit that he gives us where he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. We long for that. And the other is, of course, for the Lord Jesus to return. And to redeem our bodies. And lift us up to our God. And sanctify us thoroughly. And bring us home to heaven. And whatever we find ourselves longing for, we must wait. The thing about believing in the true God. He is so active that he is like Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. He kind of comes and goes when he wishes. Or, um, or Gandalf, you know, a wizard is never late. Yeah, that's a great line, isn't it? He arri- arrives exactly when he means to. He is not our servant. We are his servants, and so we must wait on him. He is the one who brings us down. And when he is ready, he will lift us up. And we must wait. And, and that is hard, particularly when we're not so good at waiting. We, many of us will be used to fast food and fast tech and fast car. Do you remember the days of, uh, what, well, I can't remember what it's called, dial-up. Dial-up internet, do you remember that? You'd get the computer on, you'd wait for an hour, go and do many other jobs. And then you'd l- l- log in and wait another hour. So horrendous, wasn't it? But we must wait like watchmen for the morning, whatever else, and this is the wonderful thing, isn't it? Whatever else would come in the night for the watchman, the one thing they would be absolutely sure would come is the morning. The dawn will break. The sun will rise. And so it will be for us if we wait for the Lord. He will surely come. One day we will know that we are his so certainly that our hearts will be full to bursting with joy. And one day our trials will be over and we will gaze upon our saviour and delight in his love. Wait for the Lord, friends. Wait for him. He is coming. So thirdly, hope. Hope in the Lord. Hope in his word. Uh, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. And then verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Jesus Christ did not die so we could save ourselves by our good works. Nor did he die so that he might possibly save us. Maybe. He died so he absolutely will save his people. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so friends, are you in need of redemption this morning? There is plenty of it with God. Put your hope in him. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether that's for the first time, whether it's again, if you've been baptized, remember the promises of your baptism. What it means, what it shows you. You belong to him. He will redeem you from all your iniquity. Let's pray.
If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Lord God, we are sorry that we forget how heinous our sin is before you. How rightly it deserves your wrath. And yet, Lord, we are also sorry for how we forget so often that with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Please, Lord God, would you convince each one of us who is yours this morning that you have forgiven our sin. Please, Father, would your spirit pour out that comfort within us. Please, Father, have mercy upon us and help us to wait for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.